God always uses a bold evangelist to get the gospel to the people who will believe. God uses people in the process of evangelism. He doesn't need you. He has angels. But he chooses to use you because he wants to get some stuff done in you while he's getting some stuff done through you. Welcome to Resonate with Trent Griffith, Senior Pastor of Harvest Bible Chapel in Granger, Indiana. I'm Aaron Paulus. Today, we'll continue in the Be Bold series with a message called Openings for the Gospel. In it, Pastor Trent introduces us to Philip, a New Testament Jew who was able to look past cultural and racial differences to boldly share the good news of Christ with an unbeliever. As we listen, we'll learn from Philip's example about some ways that we can be bold evangelists as we share the gospel. So grab your Bible and turn to the book of Acts. Here's Pastor Trent. Let me invite you as we continue in worship to open your Bible to Acts chapter 8. We've begun our series entitled, Be Bold. And last week, we kind of looked at an episode out of the book of Acts where Christians were on the defensive. And uh, it's kind of feeling in our culture like we are more on the defensive as the culture gets a little more antagonistic toward this message. And yet, we are not just to be on the defensive in being bold. We're also to go on the offensive. Now, playing offense does not mean that you are offensive. Bold, yes. Brash, no. Intentional, yes. Insulting, no. So today, we're going to look at what it means to go on the offense in being bold. And we're going to look at an episode here in Acts chapter 8 for someone who was on the offense. As we get into this, I, I want to... Um, let you know, first of all, this is a message for Christians. And every week we have friends and outsiders that are coming in. They're kind of tipping their toe, dipping their toe into the waters of Christianity, kind of figuring out, is this something I want to attach myself to? Well, this is a message for the church. It's a message for Christians. Every Christian is to be a bold evangelist. Now, I realize when I said the word evangelist, you just got a picture in your head of somebody with big hair and a bright blue blazer, okay? You say, I am not that guy. Well, I don't want you to be that guy. But every Christian ought to be bold and able to articulate the gospel to someone who needs to hear the good news. You are an evangelist. But let me set your mind at ease. I'm going to put a definition up on the screen. It's a very wordy definition. You can begin to write it down. You'll have time. But I want to let you know what we're talking about when we say evangelism. If we're to be bold in our evangelism, what does that mean? Here's what we mean. Bold evangelism is the process, usually prolonged, of guiding an unbeliever, or if you're an optimist, a pre-believer. Okay, any optimist out there? Yeah. So a pre-believer in the power of the Holy Spirit toward making many, many decisions. Do you get that? M-A-N-Y. M-I-N-I, decisions to overcome doubtful objections and trust Christ. Bold evangelism is the process, usually prolonged, of guiding an unbeliever or a pre-believer in the power of the Holy Spirit toward making many, many decisions to overcome doubtful objections and trust Christ. So what does all that mean? Well, first of all, notice that evangelism is a process. Don't think of evangelism as an event. 
To be an evangelist does not mean that you walk up to everything that moves and everything that breathes, and in 15 seconds you share your testimony, you bop them on the head, tell them you're a dirty, rotten sinner, the only solution is Jesus, and would you like to invite Jesus into your life right now so you can go to heaven when you die? There's a, it's a process. It's a process. It's a cultivated relationship. Usually the Lord will use you in a relationship to get the gospel into places. That may take hours. It may take weeks. It may take years before a person trusts you enough to trust this Jesus that you're delivering with the message. And sometimes we think evangelism is kind of like, Man, it's just, the world's just so hard out there. And it's, it's, we, we kind of think of evangelism as trying to light a fire in the middle of a driving rainstorm. Don't think of it that way. It's more like finding, fanning, and fueling a spark that God has already begun in a person's heart. Our job is not to create the fire or spark the fire. We're just in the process of looking for where God is moving in the world, and that is a process. Secondly, of guiding an unbeliever. Notice it's not arguing with an unbeliever. It's not answering all the objections. It's not giving a defense for everything that a person could possibly bring up. It's just simply pointing people to the news. We are carriers of news. It's like this. You're watching a football game, but it's late at night. You're, just, you're going to bed, and you're kind of curious who won. You wake up the next morning, and you open the sports page, or you turn on Sports Center to find out your team has won, and it's good news. The message that we're delivering, even the word evangel, evangelist, or evangelism, the word evangel means good news, victorious news that our team has won. We're just simply to deliver that message and trust that God will spark in someone faith to believe that message. And we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, not in the power of our flesh, not in the power of our intellect. We're simply working in cooperation with what God is already doing. And we're leading and guiding somebody toward making many, many decisions. This is what we mean. The decision to trust Christ as Savior is the culmination possibly of hundreds of little decisions someone would make. Before somebody trusts Christ, they have to first of all believe there's a God. Second decision is, I'm not Him. Some people don't know that yet, right? That's a decision you have to make. I am not God. The world is, the universe does not revolve around me, and I can't expect other people to bound out and worship me. Some people are getting to that point. Uh, some people need to understand what God is like. He is holy, but He's also a God who loves us enough to communicate to us. He doesn't just exist somewhere out there. He didn't just spin the world into place and he's out there just kind of watching us do our own thing. He's actively involved in our lives and God has spoken. Do you believe that God has spoken? Well, how has he spoken? Well, he wrote a book. And Do you believe the book? Well, what does the book say? Now I gotta know what's in the book and decide whether or not I believe what's in the book and decide if Jesus is the the one that God has provided to make, all those are many decisions that a person must make before they make the ultimate decision to trust Christ with their lives. And we lead them to overcome doubtful objections. Did you have any objections the first time you heard the gospel? Did, did you believe the gospel the first time you heard it? There were some objections. Well, I don't know if I 
want Jesus to be my boss and ruler of my life. I don't know if I, those are objections. But then finally, we trust Christ. And so understand evangelism is this process. And we don't have to convince someone. We just have to deliver the news. So here in Acts chapter 8, we're going to see an episode of how God uses our evangelism to get to someone's life. Now, there's one thing that both Christians and non-Christians totally agree upon. Both Christians and non-Christians hate telemarketers, right? You ever sit down at dinner and what happens? Those of you that still have a landline, how many of you still have a landline, right? Welcome to the 21st century. They now have these cell phones things, and there's actually a do not call list you can register for so you don't get the telemarketers. But who wants to talk to a telemarketer trying to sell me something I'm not interested in? Well, God doesn't want you to be a telemarketer. God doesn't want you to be a televangelist, annoying people who aren't interested in the news that we're to deliver. But there is some news that God wants us to get into the hands of those who are interested. I want you to see this. Evangelists are always looking for openings. There are six openings that an evangelist is looking for. Here's the first one. He's looking for an open door. An evangelist walks through open doors. Here we are in Acts chapter 8, look at verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went and there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch of the court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So notice here we're talking about this uh, early follower of Christ. His name was Philip. Philip was uh, the early evangelist. He'd already evangelized. He'd already gone and delivered the message to the Samaritans. And now God is going to use him to deliver the message to Africa. And so we're seeing this in the early history of the church, how God is using this man named Philip. Now, Philip heard from this angel. Now, what you have to understand is in the earlier part of this book, Philip had just led an incredible mass evangelism event in this nation or in this region of Samaria. Thousands of people were coming to Christ, and, 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 and Philip was being used. He was so productive. He was so fruitful. At that point, he was such a model, such a great leader. He was in the zone. I mean, he just, he was doing what he was built to do. And in the middle of all of that productivity, God sends an angel to Philip and says, I want you to shut it down. I am relocating you from Samaria to a desert place in the south, this little strip of land called Gaza. Gaza was the last watering place on the road to Africa, and it was not a vacation destination. This is not a place you would want to go and spend a little time because of the amenities offered, because of the, the climate and the, the sweetness of the people and the low taxes. This is not a place you would want to go. I believe that's the reason why God had to send an angel to get his attention, right? 
Now, by the way, angels are very prominent in the book of Acts, okay? In the book of Acts, we see angels at work doing God's bidding. In Acts chapter 1, an angel talked to the disciples after Jesus' resurrection. In Acts chapter 5, an angel opened the prison door and let out the apostles. In Acts chapter 10, an angel appeared to Cornelius. In Acts chapter 12, an angel let Peter out of prison. In Acts chapter 27, an angel comforted Paul during his shipwreck. We see the activity of angels all in the early part of the history of the church. Some of you say, well, I wish I got a message from an angel. If, if I, I, how many of you would help your boldness if an angel appeared to you and told you to get busy, right? Well, who's to say that angels aren't at work? The only reason we know of the activities of angels is because the Holy Spirit is inspiring the writer of Luke to tell of what's happening in the invisible realm, in the spiritual realm. There are angels at work. Here's what we need to understand. As evangelists, we've got help. There is an army of spiritual warriors that God has created to get His work done. And at, time, God, at times, God assigns them to come alongside of us to get His work done. And I believe there's angels at work right now in this room. I, I believe there are angels doing God's bidding, okay? Now, don't diminish the role of angels in evangelism. We need to know we've got some help. But secondly, don't make too much of angels. Some of you are sitting here and say, well, if an angel appeared to me, I'll be bold. And, and when that happens, I'll, I'll get after it. No, no, you, you, you are reading about the activities of angels in a holy inspired book. You have the Holy Spirit. He's using the illumination of his word right now to get that message to you. You've got plenty of spiritual resources to be bold right where you are. So don't make too much of angels. Notice the message that the angel delivered. It says, rise and go toward the south. Now, as a person who grew up in the South, that is a happy message for me. I like it when it's time to go on vacation, and all of our vacation destinations lead South. Anybody with me there, right? Especially if you're living up here. Now, listen, that was just personal application for me here. Um, the, the, the prompting of God's Spirit for my ministry has never said that. It's usually my flesh that's saying, Orlando's a nice place to plant a church. Um, the message God kind of prompted and put on the heart of Andrea and I was rise and go north, okay? Now, the, the question is, for, for you, what has God said to you about where you are to be bold? And I would ask you this, where is your desert place? You see what it says? It was a desert place. No amenities, no frills, not the happiest place on the planet. Where is the one place that you are praying God will not send you to be bold? That might be the place God wants to send you, okay? As a matter of fact, I would say this. Some of you that are waiting to hear this message, God, where would you want to send me? Where would you want to go? I would suggest this. God has probably already spoken. And God has probably already sent you. The place you currently occupy 
is the place God wants you to evangelize. God wants to send his messengers getting this message out. And so where do you regularly rise and go? For some of you, that's a workplace. For some of you, that's a school. For some of you, that's a neighborhood where you live. For some of you, that may be a retail or a marketplace. Where has God already sent you? Speaking of the workplace, the workplace is, is, is the place that you probably spend more time than any other place except your bed, okay? And yet, when you're unconscious asleep, it's hard to be bold, okay? So I would suggest that the place that you spend the most time is probably the primary place of your evangelism. And for most of you, that is the marketplace. That's where you work. How many of you have a job? You have a job? You have a job? And do you know I have a job? Do you know? I, now, your job may be different than my job. Some of you say, man... I wouldn't want your job. Some of you say, I wish I had a job. You only work like one day a week and, you know, I don't know, just sit around and pray the rest of the time, you know, it's a really cushy job, right? Now listen, do you want me to do my job for the right reason? Okay. What if you came and asked me, hey, Trent, hey, um, hey why do you do what you do? What, why do you go to work? What if I told you, I go to work to make money? How many of you have been a little disappointed in your pastor if that was the reason that I went to work? How many of you say that's a kind of a shallow reason for you to do what you do? Well, what if I came and asked you, why do you do what you do? Why do you go to work? And he's like, well, my family's got to make a living. I got to put food on the table. I go to work to make money. Let me suggest something to you. If you go to work for a different reason than your pastor goes to work, one of us is going for the wrong reason. Do you know why I go to work? I go to work to be a bold evangelist and get the gospel out. Why do you go to work? It better be for the same reason. If you go to work for a different reason than I go to work, you're going for the wrong reason. You need to see your job as the place where God wants to use you to carry the gospel, to interact in the flow of pagan culture, to get the gospel to the place where God wants to get it. And so he sends Philip to this desert place where he interacts with this Ethiopian eunuch. Now, I want you to think about this, because as I read this, I don't know what you think of when you read the Bible. I, my mind kind of reads between the lines. And my question was this. If God has an angel that's committed to doing his work. Why didn't God send the angel to the Ethiopian eunuch and leave poor Philip alone? Anybody think like me when I read the Bible? Why do you think that God sent the angel to Philip and then sent Philip to the Ethiopian? I believe it's because God not only wants to get some stuff done through you, God wants to get some stuff done in you. And for Philip to gulp real hard, pack his suitcase, shut down his ministry, say goodbye to friends and family, and kind of die to the vision of building a megachurch in Samaria, 
and to go to a desert place. He doesn't even know he's going to meet a guy, doesn't know who he's going to meet, doesn't know what he's going to do. But that is a sanctifying process where you have to become a little more like Jesus every day rather than build your own kingdom, be committed to his. And so God always, listen, God always uses a bold evangelist to get the gospel to the people who will believe. God uses people in the process of evangelism. He doesn't need you. He has angels. But he chooses to use you because he wants to get some stuff done in you while he's getting some stuff done through you. He wants to develop boldness in you. And listen, no one has ever come to Christ without the faithful, bold witness of an obedient evangelist. No one. Think about your story. Have you come to Christ? Did God use someone? God used someone. Here's the next thing. A bold evangelist not only walks through open doors, but he also looks for open hearts. Look at verse 27 again. It says that he, Philip, rose and went. Good job, Philip. He obeyed. He didn't make excuses. He didn't say, I'll go later. He didn't say, I'll send a delegate. He chose to obey. And when he did obey, there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch. Now, let me just explain this without getting a little too graphic. Somebody's like, what's a eunuch? A eunuch was a, a castrated young man that um, was used to serve and care for harems in the ancient world, okay? And so in order to put a boy in the middle of a bunch of women without him being a threat, there was a little operation, a little proceeding that, that took place in order to ensure that he was not going to be a threat to the harem. And so this, this young man, probably a young man, was uh, made a eunuch against his will as a young man. He'd grown up, and he, apparently he had been such a faithful servant to this queen that she had put him in charge of all of her money. He was the CFO of Candace Corporation in Ethiopia, all right? So I want you to notice how different this Ethiopian eunuch was from Philip. We don't know a whole lot about him, but if he was from Ethiopia, we know he was black, he was an African, we know he was rich because he'd been entrusted with all of the, the money. He was Southern, which speaks well for him. And um, he, he was disabled. He was single. He had a poor love life. He would never be a father. Let me ask you a question. Are there people that are so different from you that you have trouble cultivating relationship with them. Because Philip was completely different. Philip was Middle Eastern in origin. He had a Jewish religious background. This Ethiopian was pagan, had false worship in his background. And so God chose to send somebody very different, cross-cultural, to engage this guy with the gospel. This, this tells us a couple of things here. First of all, there's no one outside the reach of the gospel. The gospel is for everyone, no matter skin color, nationality, race, origin, disability, marital status. The gospel is for everyone. And the second message is this. There is no one that you and I 
can, can, we cannot use an excuse saying that I don't understand the culture. I, I can't talk to this person. Rise and go for crying out loud. And see what God will do with your faithful witness. And look for an open heart. Now, let's find out if this guy had an open heart. Notice what it says he was doing. He was actually, notice in the end of verse 27, he was returning from Jerusalem where he had gone, it says, to worship. Now, now think about that. The distance between Ethiopia, by the way, this Ethiopia in the ancient world was actually modern-day Sudan. A 2,100-mile journey, over 2,000 miles, that this guy made without an automobile, without a plane, without a train, just simply doing what he could to get to the place of worship. Some of you had trouble to get to this place of worship this morning, and you only had to drive like 5, 10 miles in an air-conditioned car. This guy worked hard to get to the place of worship, and yet he was a pagan coming out of a false uh, uh, worship culture. How did he even know where to go? Why did he even have a heart to worship? The reality that we find in Scripture is this. Everyone has a heart that was made to worship. And your heart will worship. If you're an atheist here this morning, your heart is going to find something to worship. If you choose not to worship Jesus, you will find substitute saviors to worship. For you, that might be sex, it might be money, it might be entertainment, it might be football, it might be a wonderful marriage. It it could be a lot of different things. A lot of people worship religion, and it's a substitute for the gospel in their lives. But our hearts were made to worship. This eunuch's heart was created to worship. And so he was searching for some worship that would ultimately satisfy his soul. Apparently, his false pagan worship was not satisfying, and so he was willing to go on this trek 2,000 miles away to the place of worship. Apparently, someone had told him, that's where you will find the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. If you want access to God, that's the place you got to go. This guy was trying to get to the place of true worship in Jerusalem where he had heard this holy God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob hangs out. And so, guess what? He gets to the temple, and he is denied access to God. After 2,000 miles to try to connect with God, he begins to walk into the temple to worship, and somebody tells him, you're not allowed in here. Now, we don't see that in the story, but we know it from the Old Testament because the Old Testament tells us that eunuchs were not allowed into the holy place because they were eunuchs. I don't understand that, but there's requirements. Not anybody could just go tripping into the presence of God. And so he's denied access. And so now he is on his way back home. Can you imagine how frustrated and disappointed and how rejected he must have felt? Maybe even a little embittered at the guy that told him you can go worship in Jerusalem? And so it was at that moment that God sends Philip into his path and Philip finds an open heart. Just as Philip walked through the open door and found an open heart in the Ethiopian, 
we can learn to look for opportunities that God gives us every day to share the hope of the gospel with the people around us. Well, I hope you'll join us again next week as Pastor Trent gives us practical ways to identify openings for the gospel with the conclusion of this message. If you've been encouraged and challenged by the teaching of Pastor Trent, come join us at one of our weekend worship services, Saturdays at 5 p.m. and Sundays at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. We're located on Hickory Road, just north of Cleveland Road in Granger, Indiana. We'd love to meet you. Well, thanks for joining us today. I'm Aaron Paulus, and my prayer is that God's word will resonate in your heart and mind this week. Resonate is a radio ministry of Harvest Bible Chapel, Granger, harvestgranger.org.